0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Fannie Lou Hamer's America is an illuminating and exhilarating look at one of America's most compelling civil rights leaders. Through rare footage and recordings, some not seen or heard in a half a century, Fannie Lou Hamer's America tells her story and that of America more than four decades after her death. The directorial debut of Joy Davenport and the brainchild of Monica Land, Fannie Lou Hamer's America offers photos, documents, performances, and sources, some unearthed by family members, to a new generation of audiences called upon to take up the mantle of preserving American democracy. We're joined today by the director of Fannie Lou Hamer's America, Joy Davenport. Joy, welcome to Film School Radio. Hi, thanks so much for having me. As I shared with you before we started, I knew this tiny window of of history of Fannie Lou Hamer from the Democratic Convention in 1964. She gave a, a, an impassioned speech and, and organized a protest over the seating of her delegation to the Democratic Convention in Atlantic City. And that was it. How did you come upon her? And what inspired this this documentary?
1: So I was originally introduced to this history, the history of specifically the civil rights movement in Mississippi, when I was an undergraduate at Florida State University. My professor, Davis Houck, is a specialist in this history. And he brought us to Mississippi as a kind of capstone experience for my undergraduate degree. And it was on that trip that we visited historical sites and we met people who were involved in various actions in the state. I went to all of the places that were significant to Emmett Till's tragic history in Mississippi, but I also met members of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Um, I met Reverend Ed King, who was an peer. I spoke with Lawrence giott who became a friend and mentor. And the more that I dove into this student movement, specifically SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the more I felt a kinship. And so I went and my very first film was my master's thesis, and it was an oral history of the MFDP. And through that, I was kind of guided by Lawrence Giot, who was the first chairman of the MFDP. And when that film was completed, he said, all right, Davenport, next film's on Hamer. (laughs) And that was in 2010, I think. So it's been 12 years since that fateful promise. Um, But
0: here we are. The film is almost completely told from the point of view and by Fannie Lou Hamer, Be- because I think part of it is there was a remarkable amount of audio and video over her. Again, something I had no idea existed, I'm sure was a surprise to you, to the degree, or was there as much as you expected to find in terms of recordings and archival uh, material on her?
1: So that was it was kind of a double edged sword because there were a lot of recordings, especially during her movement days, because she became a spokesperson for what was happening in Mississippi nationally. She would travel to places all over the country. And so those speeches were often recorded, sometimes just by home recordists who would just bring their little tape recorder and record from the gymnasium. So that's where we got a lot of those recordings. But they only, for the most part, document a particular slice of her life. And we wanted to tell a fuller part of that. So it, it took kind of another step past what was easily or not even easily, because none of this was easy, but um, readily available. And so we had to dig in and look for things that were mislabeled or look for things that people had discarded or talk to the family and find out the the truth about her history, because the the documentation of her life before 1964 is is very poor. And even after that, she was not preserved in the ways that a lot of other civil rights figures have been preserved. So we found a lot of really important important clips just on cutting room floors or mislabeled as heavyset Black woman or misspelled, or, or they said she was a different person. And we've only found it that way. On the one hand, there was a lot recorded about her, but on the other hand, not nearly enough. Um, and so we wanted to tell the, this in her voice specifically because I'm a white woman and there's a shameful history of white women telling Black people stories. And so it was important to me, if I'm going to direct this, then I have to step aside and let her tell the story. It would be unethical of me to do otherwise.
0: What a perspective. Uh, thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Let's start at the beginning. Where was Fannie Lou Hamer born? And tell us about her circumstances.
1: So she was born in 1917. In, well, she the, This is actually a point of some contention among historians that we're not entirely sure where she was born. And she has said multiple places in various interviews and historians of various opinions somewhere around Montgomery County in the Mississippi Delta is where she was born. And then moved with her family between various plantations because they were sharecroppers. Um, She was the 23rd child of the family, the youngest. And that was, you know, for her, that was a normal upbringing. You know, she would wake up and walk to the fields with her siblings. And it was cold. So maybe they'd roll the cows out of the spot where they had been sleeping so they could warm up their feet in the warm spot. And that was their life. But she was sort of the golden child of her family. Her, her father was a preacher and taught her to preach by reading the Bible. And her mother taught her songs that were passed down by her mother and her mother all the way back to the transatlantic journey. So the her experience growing up was finding strength in family and strength in community and fighting against a very harsh world that just really didn't care whether she lived or died. So she learned to move between worlds in a way that helped her help her family survive. By being able to read and and speak charismatically, she was able to kind of move up the ranks within the sharecropping system. So she became a timekeeper. She would work in the owner's house and do their laundry and Wear their laundry when they weren't looking. Um, She just, she basically could see behind the curtain in a way that others couldn't. And what she saw was there's absolutely no reason for her to be living the life that she's living. It's it's purely because the white people have rigged it. So she decided from that point on that she tells a story about how her mom was clearing land on their property and the hatchet she was using broke and blinded her. And from that moment, Fannie Lou had to take care of the family in a way that she hadn't before. And from that moment, Fannie Lou said nobody else should
0: have to live like this.
1: And so she was going to do whatever she could do to make sure that the system was changed so that she could have her dignity and everyone before and after her could too.
0: I want to pull out something that you said in your, in your response, and that is you mentioned sharecropping. She was born on a plantation, but they were sharecroppers. And I <laughs> think it's important to point out, and this is my, my way of putting it. Yes, slavery went away in the aftermath of the Civil War, but in its place came sharecropping, which I've referred to as slavery 2.0. Mm-hmm. It was essentially the same thing, although there was a modicum of control by the quote unquote ex-slaves who who had land, but really all of the money went to the to somebody else. Is that a fair way to put it? Oh, that's that's
1: a that's almost an optimistic way of looking at it. Um, because the modicum of control that the sharecroppers, were given, quote unquote, because they were given, really all that was done was there was things were taken from them, but they were given this illusion of control. You know, they could have their little plot and they could grow their their crops, but if they ever got to be self-sufficient, then the white supremacist system would arrive to make sure that they could not be self-sufficient. You know, Fannie Lou would tell a, a stories about her early married life with Pep and they'd gotten some semblance of stability this was even before her political awakening this was just she was still a sharecropper but they had some semblance of stability they had a car they had a couple of hogs and because of that because the the owners of the plantation saw that they woke up one morning and the hogs had been poisoned and you know the crops had been ruined and that was just because they had gotten above their station so th- there was this illusion of if you work hard and this might sound familiar if you work hard and do all the right things and don't step out of line, you'll be fine. But it was absolutely not the case. It was all about extractive. It was, it was just slavery by, by another name. And now you have the prison system in Sunflower County. You have the federal prison right there in the cotton fields. And that's that's slavery 3.0. You have coerced labor, enforced labor in the same fields that you had coerced labor in sharecropping and coerced labor for slavery.
0: Also, there was something that Fannie Lou Hamer says in the documentary that she had no idea that Black people could vote. Mm -hmm. So when that became something that was being talked about and there was movement in that direction to to register voters, again, it's staggering. When you watch this film, this is what's so impressive about your film, Fannie Lou Hamer's America, is how it's laid bare in a way that I've rarely seen in film the the system and and I and much of it has to do with Fannie Lou Hamer recounting her life and then the way you were able to put the visuals behind it. But she's a powerful speaker. She talks from the heart and we hear, we hear the passion, we hear the heartache. There's so many things in this film that are just unbelievably heartbreaking and uplifting as well. But the fact that they didn't know that they could vote in America in the 1950s and 60s. this is when this when her awakenings, right about that that around around that time you yes. didn't even know when well, there's a reason for
1: that you know it, that was another thing that was enforced by the white supremacist system because there had been black people in Mississippi organizing to vote the whole time, but they would just be killed. It was as simple as that. and she knew some of those stories and it's it's an open historical question as to what she knew about voting what she knew is it wasn't for her and it wasn't for black people because that's what the system enforced with violence whenever necessary so for her it was the revelation was that this world is within reach but it's being kept from me not that it shouldn't be for me but that there is there is a deliberate effort to keep me from it and once she understood that all bets are off you know it was it was time to fix it
0: as you described her growing up and her place in the family and her ability to become more educated and in the power of her voice, when in her life would you say she began to assert herself? What well, what was there a particular event or a particular series of events in which she stepped up?
1: Well, she tells a lot of stories. Well, her whole thing is storytelling. I should just step back and say that she would teach, teach these lessons through these stories to reveal America as it was. And one of the stories she would often tell is what it was like to be the timekeeper on a plantation and what was expected of her and how she realized that she could play with that expectation to benefit the people around her. So what was expected of her was that she would do what the Sharecrop, what the owner of the property wanted to do, which was to rig the scales and they had a little it's called a pea. it was just like a little weight and um, she was supposed to tip the scales in the owner's favor. she do the, she'd do the opposite, make sure people were getting paid more than they should have. Same with when she was doing chores on their property. she'd take a bath with like really nice perfumes because she knew that they were wearing the same perfumes so they wouldn't be able to smell it on her, can't smell it on themselves. She would tell stories about working in their kitchen, and she'd eat before they did. You know, she'd have her meal and then bring bring theirs out. So that was when she started to realize that this system can be well, one is arbitrary, and two can be changed because everything that she did to step out of line, for the most part, she was able to get away with because she understood how things worked. Um, and that was when she began to assert herself as when she saw that double life that that the society like provided for people. How on the one side if you're white you really don't have to do anything. All you got to do is sit back and be served by these folks who are black. And if you're black, then you have to do everything. Because if you don't, then you'll see what happens to you. And you just knew it wasn't fair.
0: There's another thing about what they were doing that you just, when you mentioned the P that could be placed on the scale. If anyone has ever spent any time around cotton and knows how light and airy it is and how much effort it would take to pick a pound of cotton let alone 20 or 30 pounds uh and to be paid so little for even for that and to know how much effort went into it and how in terms of of all the things you could measure by weight would be the most regressive way to pay someone for for their work
1: right yeah imagine 300 pounds of cotton yeah it's i can't i can't imagine it except that's what that's what children were picking in the right. fields right
0: I, as I, a statistic that I may be wrong about, but I did hear this recently from another film, and that was that at, at the height of the cotton is king era, there was a it was a billion pounds of cotton being picked. Mm. I believe it. I, I don't know the statistic, but I believe it. It was it
1: was absolutely the lifeblood of that economy, and it, and the economy was rigged such that that lifeblood only flowed in the white direction.
0: It was also the beginning of making America an industrial power. Our, our rise in terms of the world's economy and our, our, the perception of the world of us was mostly, and I'm going to say that's an editorial comment, but mostly because of cotton. Yeah, well, the, the the
1: Mississippi Delta produced some of the greatest wealth of our country. And yet the people who labored to produce that wealth were given none of it. It was purely like extractive. And that's something that I find to be one of the great conundrums of Mississippi, is that you have this incredibly fertile place that produced so much wealth for so few. It just feels like the crucible of America to me.
0: Right, right. right. And when I say the world, we were exporting cotton. That's why I'm saying that, that the prominence of the United States on the world stage had a lot to do with our exporting of cotton to the rest of the world. Let's move into this era. By the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Joy Davenport. She is the, the director, editor, cinematographer of this incredible documentary film called Fannie Lou Hamer's America. The producers are related to Fannie Lou Hamer, the great niece Monica Land, as well as Selena Lauterer. Yeah, Selena Lauterer is not family of the, like Monica is the grandniece.
1: Um Selena is just an absolute angel who came in a few years ago to help us get this on PBS. Um, She's based out of Boone, North Carolina.
0: And you should truly be looking for this when it comes out. It'll be available beginning on February 22nd. And you can see it at PBS, um, the affiliate as well, the affiliate channel, World Channel, beginning on Thursday, February 24th. And be looking for it. Uh, I I have seen a lot of documentary films uh, about, civil rights movement, the history of America in relation to Black America. And this is very powerful. And for a lot of reasons, not only is the subject such a dynamic person and an incredible public supporter and so many other things about her and her story, but also it's told with the the sound design is beautiful in this. The editing, everything about this, it's almost something mythological about her. By the time we get to the end of the film, because I think she deserves that level of of uh, prominence. Again, I barely knew her, and by the time you get done with this film, I, I just can't help thinking about her and and where she should be in in our perception of this era and the perception of her importance in the civil rights movement.
1: And and she was. For a very brief moment when she was on the national stage, recognized as the Titan that she is. You know, Malcolm X called her America's number one freedom fighting woman. You know, she would march and share stages with Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. She she belongs in the great pantheon of freedom fighters in our country. But over time, because she was so uncompromising, she was radical, she could not be whitewashed. And in a lot of ways, there was a certain contingent of people. In her era that considered her to be an embarrassment to the civil rights movement. And she calls out a few by name in the film. Yes, she did. Because she did not temper her speech. She did not try to appeal to audiences by backing off of her truth. She always came in with 100% of herself. And people, especially those who practiced a certain kind of respectability politics, saw someone who they called uneducated who they said was rough around the edges and poor and like an embarrassment to them. That's, that wasn't the image they wanted to cultivate. And she said, well, I don't care. This is the truth. This is America. But because of that, she disappeared in our history. Yeah. You know, she, it's it's very difficult to slap something that she said onto a conservative campaign the way that they do with other figures from the movement that have been you know remembered, but also not remembered with their fullness either.
0: I'd heard this phrase said many, many times. I don't know if she's the first to have said it, but she's certainly among the most powerful and that is, I'm just, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired.
1: Mm-hmm. That was her catchphrase. And that's something she said even before the movement came around. That's something that her family quotes her as saying just when she was out in the fields, picking cotton, just saying that you know she and everyone else was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Would like to say that is originally from her. It could have just been a thing lots of folks said in the field, sure. but it, it became her catchphrase. And, and I, it was actually a challenge to find that in the archival footage. There's only two places recorded that I was able to find it. And they're both in the film.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's one of the things she said, she grew up in Mississippi. This is where her family was. And she said something that I think, again, is profound and in, in, its, in its implication and ramifications for America. And that is Mississippi is not Mississippi's problem. Mississippi is America's problem. Yes, And that's true on so many different levels. So many. It's an incredibly salient and perceptive thing to say. Mississippi
1: is the place where the illusion of America falls away. Mississippi is the place where America ends, the truth begins. Because the American dream is a bill of goods. It's not real. And that's what Fannie Lou Hamer was trying to say, is they were sold something that wasn't real, and what they'd like is the real thing now. It's been... 200, 400 years since they should have had it. And so it's about time they gave it to us.
0: Again, I mentioned earlier that the 1964 Democratic Convention and the importance, and this is where I or know of her. I didn't know that the terms of the agreement with the Democratic Party were such that I see in the film, but I loved her response about what the compromise was. And right. there's so many other great people in the film. That, and I'm glad that you are able to spend time talking about the Freedom Riders, uh, Cheney, uh, Schwarzner, and um, Goodman who were killed. The three, the, the people who came mm-hmm. from the North to help register uh, Black Americans to vote and the impact it had. I, I love seeing Stokely Carmichael, one of the head, one of the leaders of SNCC. One of the guys who I used to see on TV all the time was held up as this is not the Negro that we want, right? I mean, this this in in relation to what we've been talking about, there was the good Negro and the bad Negro, and he was definitely one of the bad ones, right?
1: And that's who she sided with too, you know. When when it came down to, and even when you talk about that compromise in Atlantic City, you know, Stokely was there with her, and they were very much on the side of no compromise. And the institutionalists like Aaron Henry or Roy Wilkins or Reverend King, they they said, well. This is a political win, and they said it's it's not an it's not an actual win; it's an illusion. So we're not going to take it. And over time, she continued to align herself with the radical side of things. You know, there there's a really wonderful clip that we had to cut from a 1973 form of Black leaders, and you have sort of a certain number of tables with you've got the Congressional Black Caucus, you have sort of the economic wing, you have, but then over here you have Fannie Lou Hamer, Angela Davis. Stokely Carmichael you got the radical table and those, those were the people that she stuck with the the young people the radicals the ones that she saw as the real hope of the country just amazing
0: it chokes me up it really does it really breaks me up to think about just you know just what she went through and at one point in the film she was almost beaten to death for for trying to register people to vote it just it's it's there's so much here i yeah. I really I'm I, and and as much as you have in the film, I am certain that there is a whole lot more that as people dive into this subject, and I'm sure over the course of the screening on PBS and on World Channel, they almost always provide you with some background material that goes along with the film. And I hope that people will take the time.
1: We do have that. Um, we have a, a K through 12 curriculum that is on our website that's freely available that was developed by teachers in Mississippi. Um, we have. In, in process it's not quite done yet but a discussion guide to accompany the film and multiple short clips and there's a behind the lens piece that's going to air after the film that has monica and jacqueline fanny lou's daughter um talking about the family and other stories that didn't quite fit into the film so you're right there's so much that could not go into a tv special that also deserves to be known
0: definitely if people want to go to a is there a website that you that you you yes. have put up
1: fannielewhamersamerica.com
0: Fannie America.com. so you can go there in addition to that you can we have got the filmschool radio.com website for people who just are interested in this discussion we're having as well as you know where you can go for the world channel premieres and all that kind of stuff as well but com. yes okay perfect Please go that ahead. has
1: that has our whole film's journey because this has been a 14 year project this started back I got hooked up with Monica back in two thousand eight. so and Monica was working on it before that. So for her it's been even longer. so there's, there's we've gone a long way to make this project happen and the website has a lot more information than you'll find in the film
0: and this film could not have come along at a more appropriate time a lot of discussion now about whether or not, We're going to have an African-American woman on the Supreme Court. We have all of these uh, regressive, racist programs going on around the country in terms of our educational system, banning of books, all kinds of things that are harbingers to a horrible future and also a reference to a absolutely devastating history, not just here in the United States, but in other parts of the world, we are at a we are at an inflection point. We are at a point here in this country where we really do have to make some important decisions on which way we're going to go. And there, and that day of reckoning is at hand. If we and you, you truly better be, honestly, if you're listening to this, you should take that very very seriously.
1: I agree completely, and I think that there's a real danger to not teaching accurate factual history. And I think the danger is what we are facing because there's enough people who think of themselves as folks of goodwill who were taught this very whitewashed version of history. And it it, does, it hurts to be told that you are complicit in a crime or in harm or in something that has directly led to somebody else's pain. But when we're not taught accurately, there has to be a moment of ripping off the bandaid. Otherwise the wound's just going to fester. And that's what we're seeing. And the the fact of the matter is in 1989, we talk about the White Citizens Council in this film. There you go. The White White Citizens Council was the kind of official, respectable wing of the KKK. They existed to um, resist integration in every form. And they were founded in 54 and they existed until 1989. And when they closed down, it wasn't because they'd lost their constituency or they felt that they were no longer relevant. They felt that they had gone national they felt that they'd won, and they were right. Right. You know, in in the year 2022, they're absolutely right. What we are seeing in the antics of certain GOP politicians, what we're seeing in the actual aversion to real history is the consequence of being told a comforting lie for decades. And you just gotta rip the Band-Aid off or we're not gonna make it.
0: Right, I've been referring to it as the acknowledgement project. We need an acknowledgment project. If we can just get to that point where we all agree on the facts of what happened 400 years ago, and moving forward, painful as it may be, we will be much better off on the other side. Yeah. And uh, you know, I want to just really quickly the mission of the Citizens Council: preserving racial segregation, resisting federal tyranny, resisting race mixers leading the resistance movement, protecting our sacred heritage of freedom. That could literally be one of the Southern governors campaign slogan for president right now. It very
1: much could be. And the tactics are the same. It is exactly the same playbook, which is part of what's infuriating to me as a historian is seeing these plays going on nationally and nobody sees it for what it is because it's been erased from history.
0: It does feel like we're getting gaslit all the time now. By the way, I sort of misquoted. That was the mission. The actual sort of slogan was states' rights, racial integrity. I love yeah. that one. Mm. And the American flag and the Confederate flag are crossed in their in their logo. So this is this is what we're dealing with a new version. We literally could be calling a certain political party the Citizens Council at this point and yeah. we would not be far off. Well, I want to thank you, Joy. Thank you. I truly I I cannot say Strongly enough, how how impressive this film is, and especially, especially in resurrecting um, an historic figure like Fannie Lou Hamer and how important her place is and how important black women are, you know, in terms of so many things, so many things that have helped heal our society and help make it better. Um, They have been in the forefront of that. So, Joy Davenport, director, cinematographer, editor of Hamilou Hamer's America, which will be screening on PBS beginning on February 22nd, as well as on the World Channel, and affiliate of PBS on Thursday, February 24th. Thank you so very much for your time and for your work here. Thank
1: you so much for having me here.